My handle is Jonathan Blade. Welcome to my podcast. So I had actually recorded this video like a few days ago after I had gotten my Pixel 6. I got it early because I ordered it from my carrier. My carrier shipped it from uh, Best Buy and I got it the day before launch. I wanted to record my reaction because I was super excited but after a few more days experience and not having edited that initial reaction I have more input than I had at that point in time. And I think I can give you a more complete picture of the Pixel 6 experience now. So after four days with the Pixel 6, I can say that it is a tremendous phone. Now you have to take that with a grain of salt coming from me because I have never had a premium phone. I've had nice phones. Uh, when the Nexus 5 came out that was made with the top processor on the market, but to compensate for the fact that it had the best processor at the time, Snapdragon 800, uh, some of the other features were a little bit lacking. They were nice for the price, but they weren't high-end. I think the closest I ever had to a premium device was probably the LG G6, and that was premium in every way except for the fact that it had a, uh, a substandard front-facing camera, which is still a big deal. So that was a ding against that. Oh. And it had last year's processor at the time. So that's <laughs> the, the scheme for how especially TechTube rates something as premium or high-end versus mid-range is kind of funky. But if you have last year's processor, then that automatically puts you into the, the mid-range, even if you're skewed as high-end. So that was my experience with that. So this is the first time, really, and all the phones I've had, and I've been using Android phones since 2010, I think, that I have personally owned a high-end phone and gotten one at launch. So my experience is colored by that. Of course, I've used high-end devices in testing or playing around with those things, but as far as like a, a daily driver, this is a unique experience for me. And it's really cool. It's so cool. Like, I, I feel as though I've gypped myself missing out on years of this kind of experience. The Pixel 6 is wonderful. Now it's not groundbreakingly wonderful as far as an experience because the smartphone experience is a solved equation. It has been for years. Um, my last phone, my previous phone before this Pixel 6 was the Pixel 3a XL. That came out as a specific mid-range device it was launched to cover that part of the market and that experience has been tremendous the whole way through after having it for two and a half years it still works like a new phone it's still zippy it still takes wonderful pictures and passable video it still edits media to the the degree that i need it to even 4k media because that experience is a solved experience but this one is better. 
So not transcendently better, just better. The experience with the Pixel 6 and the 90 hertz screen, which I thought it would turn off, it's not really a huge thing in motion. And I could probably just use the 60 frames per second. It still looks good either way. But I have it on now, and it's fun uh, to, to look down sometimes, look at the scrolling, and be like, oh, that is smooth. That is so smooth. Uh, except in something like Twitter, for some reason. Uh, this is something I've noticed before. If you look at Twitter in iOS, Twitter is always 60 frames per second. But in Android, Twitter, and this is specifically Twitter, is like 30 or 45, really inconsistent frame rate, uh, very stuttery scroll. And that's not true for third-party Twitter clients. It's not true for Facebook or Instagram. Just Twitter. I don't know what that is, but that is terrible. Like, it's so bad as as a piece of coding that I would think that Apple was paying Twitter to keep their client kind of janky on Android. Because there's no reason that it shouldn't scroll at 90 frames per second like everything else scrolls. And that's only significant to me because it's a lot of Twitter. But yes, the experience has been transcendent. The Tensor processor, uh, which is Google's first commercial or commercially designed SOC for smartphones and probably Chromebooks or tablets or whatever else they use that design in, uh, is pretty good. It's benchmarked pretty well. It's not at the super high end for even Android for every task. The CPU itself is designed to uh, work in a heterogeneous fashion, which means that all parts of the C CPU work together and complement each other to work together. And so that was their focus, to have everything work smoothly and work smoothly over time. And it is. It's zippy all the way through the user experience. But the way they designed it with two high-end cores to split that load... And like the year before last's mid-range cores, or what are they called, uh, mid-power cores, um, it just doesn't benchmark as well as some other modern chips, uh, because that's not the experience they're going for. Uh, GPU-wise, Tensor has the most powerful GPU in the Android space right now, as far as benchmarks go. But it's so powerful, and it runs so hot, that it throttles more quickly than the other high-end GPUs in the Android space. Uh, and the reason they designed the Tensor Processor is because they wanted uh, some actual custom blocks because, and this is the nerdy stuff, this is stuff that interests me before we go into the experience with the Pixel 6 specifically. Uh, when they designed the Tensor, uh, Google used uh, off-the-shelf uh, designs, basically, for the cores. So it's ARM spec for all of the CPU cores, ARM spec for the GPU core, so these are not custom, these are, the chip itself is custom, but the cores are just ARM spec, they're not different than ARM spec. ARM is the company that owns, uh, well, the licensing rights to ARM fabrication, and some, some companies do different things with that licensing right, but these are not custom cores, it's fabricated by Samsung, using ARM spec, which actually Samsung uses for their own uh, C or SOCs internationally. In the States, they use Qualcomm chips, which most manufacturers use in the States because of licensing for, um, I think, just Verizon, basically, uh, because of old CDMA stuff, uh, which Qualcomm owns the license to. 
most domestic chips are going to be uh, Qualcomm chips. But the Exynos processor that Samsung designs is made with ARM spec. So when people say that, oh, it's just a, a repurposed Samsung design, it's not. It's just that Samsung uses ARM spec. This new processor, this Tensor processor, uses ARM spec, and it's fabricated by Samsung, but designed by Google. What is custom on the chip is the ISP, because Google has been using a custom ISP for a number of years. And the ISP is the image signal processor. It's what processes the light coming into the camera sensor and makes it pretty. Uh, the TPU, which is the tensor processing unit, it's like the neural core machine learning. And that also helps with that photo processing and video processing uh, for the light coming into the camera sensor. And it does a bunch of other stuff, a little bunch of language recognition stuff that's far beyond what uh, anyone else is doing. Probably even Apple. So they designed this chip uh, for this to for the purpose of hosting their new machine learning uh, block on the uh, the SOC. But in benchmarking so far, their TPU, their tensor process, processing unit on their tensor uh, SOC, is actually the most powerful machine learning neural core TPU on the market. That's not Apple's, but only by a little bit. So it was probably a proof of concept more than it is, I don't know, the, the moonshot in itself is not this initial design. This is the proof of concept for them designing their own chip. There's a block on the Tensor SOC that's designed uh, to manage tasks coming into the Tensor, like a dedicated block for that. And I think those three blocks uh, are what is custom from Google. And there might be one other thing but it's not coming to mind immediately. So the ISP, the TPU, and uh, I forget what the other block is called, but yes, that's what that does. And put these things together, and you get a very powerful chip that does exactly what Google wants to do. Does it benchmark as fast as everything else in the market? No. In some ways it does. Like I said, the AI machine learning uh, block benchmarks faster. The GPU benchmarks faster. The CPU does not. But none of that is really important to how Google feels about designing this custom chip. Because the custom chip drives a phone that gives a nearly flawless experience. So this is an after-the-fact insert. Uh, I don't think I mentioned the fingerprint sensor, which is not great. It's like a first-generation in-screen optical fingerprint sensor. And... It's slow, which is not a problem for me. I don't care about that. It actually feels really good. It feels like uh, 3D Touch used to. You click the screen. But it is not really consistent. Like, I've scanned my thumb three or four times to record it at every possible angle. And if you try to open the screen with your thumb flat on the screen, then you're going to get maybe 50% positive results. I just figured out yesterday, after the trip, that you have to put the point of your thumb on the screen in the optical uh, sensor area, and then it will open 100% of the time. So it took me days to figure that out. That's not good. But your mileage may vary. It has, as I mentioned before, a 90 hertz screen on the Pixel 6. There's a 90 hertz screen. Uh, that means it's, it's a little bit faster uh, than your average phone screen. And actually this year, I guess, 
your average phone screen is is probably faster than 60 hertz, but traditionally they were always 60 hertz. Like the regular iPhone is the 60 hertz screen. Uh, for about three or four years, Samsung has been putting uh, 120 hertz, 90 hertz panels into their higher end phones, and Google as well. And so for their regular Pixel 6, it's 90 hertz. For their Pixel 6 Pro, it's 120 hertz. Now, some information I found out about that actually is so the Pixel 6, the 90 hertz screen, steps down to 60 hertz for depending on what you're doing. For the Pro, the 120 hertz steps down to 60 and then 10 depending on what you're doing. Now that sounds cool. That's LTPO. That's the the fabrication of the display, the the chemistry technology behind that display that allows for that um, that gating of uh, performance for the screen. And those three steps out impressive until you learn that Samsung uh, on their displays does like seven steps as far as going from 120 to 10, and Apple does like 13 or something going from 120 to 10. Now you probably won't be able to see the difference, but it's there, and that would help with power savings if you have all those steps uh, between 120 hertz and 10 versus versus 10 to 60 to 120. But yes, that is nifty to me. Uh, my understanding is that the screen gets plenty bright uh, under the circumstance of watching HDR content uh, out and about. It's perfectly visible in daylight. I haven't had any issues with the brightness. I've seen some people mention that compared to other high-end displays, it's not quite as bright, and that might be a thing for some people, but I don't think that's a thing. It's actually fine. It's beautiful in every situation in which I've used it. And the, as I said, the experience has been flawless. 8 gigs of RAM is, <laughs> it's kind of like last year or maybe the year before, like a 2019, maybe 2020 high-end amount of RAM. Because at the high-end, 12 is standard. The Pixel 6 Pro has 12 gigs. The Galaxy S21 Ultra has 12 gigs. But at 8, uh, the experience is flying. I can have lots of apps open side by side. I haven't had any experiences with uh, apps uh, refreshing when I didn't want them to, but that's actually not how I use my smartphone anyway, so that's probably not a big deal. Another part of the experience, of course, and probably the most important part because Google's focus with the Pixel is image processing, the camera. So Google has an algorithm that they use and that they apply to all of their images to make the pictures processed by the Pixel look a certain way. And this has been true since the first Pixel, and it's been advanced over time to be used with a specific sensor because until this Pixel, Google's been using the same sensor for the front-facing camera since, I think, the Pixel 2. And the results are beautiful. And they know that sensor inside and out. How do I know that? Because the Pixel 6 has a much bigger main sensor, like much bigger, and it's a much more powerful phone. But I was looking through some uh, some photo results with a side-by-side -side from the Pixel 5a versus the Pixel 6, and the pictures didn't look exactly the same. If you pixel peep them, you could see differences, but most of the pictures looked exactly the same, and that was whether it was... Uh, night sight, uh, daylight, wide, a lot of that stuff looked the same. The differences I saw were in some fine details, but in video was where you really see the difference. Uh, and I actually didn't think the videos were bad coming out of my Pixel 3a XL. 
in ideal conditions. If the conditions were not ideal, then you saw some funkiness. But in ideal conditions, yeah, perfectly fine. But the Pixel 6 videos are better. Are they as good as iPhone videos? I don't know, because I don't have a modern iPhone. I have people around me that did. I actually went to an art show, and I'll post some uh, pictures probably in this feed of my experience at the art show, and maybe some video. It's beautiful, and those lighting conditions are funky, so I think it's a, a pretty good proof of concept. You can see some graininess in the blacks because the light is strong, except for the, like, the doors leading out of the art exhibit, and that might not be the case on another phone, but where it does look good, it looks great at 4K60, and the 4K60 works really well. It doesn't get hot while it's shooting. One thing that you might notice is that the front-facing camera on the Pixel 6, not the Pro, is 8 megapixels, so it physically does not support 4K. It does 1080p at 30 or 60, and to me it looks good under specific situations. I've seen some people do some, uh, some video with the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro front-facing camera where it looks like it's doing some kind of uh, smoothing filter on their face. Like, at first I thought it was perhaps the focus was wrong, but then if you look at their face and they do a fast movement, the, uh, the filter breaks and then it pops back in. So uh, maybe they took that out at some point with that, that initial update that hit right after the phone dropped because it looked really bad. It looked gross, and that's no longer a thing. So yeah, the front-facing camera, which is what I'm using right now, connected with an external mic, uh, I think it looks really good. And actually I have a sample of the internal mic and Bluetooth mic connected to uh, the phone that I will put in here. Hey, testing selfie video on the Pixel 6. Uh, what I've noticed is that inside it does some kind of skin smoothing on faces that I don't like, but outside with uh, enough natural light it seems to be doing very well. Uh, this is actually beautiful on the screen. We'll see what it looks like off. Also wanted to see how the mic sounds. Uh, this is the sun in my face versus the sun to my back as far as uh, lighting and quality. You can see it just rained, but the, the river itself is very placid. It's kind of beautiful right now. And yeah, and this is the internal audio uh, as far as microphone recording of the Pixel. I tried it with my headphones because that's the function that the Pixel now supports, but uh, the headphone mics suck. And, and this audio is coming from my headphones, which is probably not great. I wonder if I can live switch that. Nope. So yes, the experience all told has been fantastic. The battery life is great. I used it yesterday, got up at like 8 o'clock, went through my day taking pictures and video, lots of 4K at 60, and when we got back to the house, because I was out of town, uh, when we got back to the house at I think 7 or 7.30, I was at 43% and I put it on uh, a charger then because I had to drive back to Richmond from where I was, which was out of town, and I probably could have made it, but just to make sure I did. But yeah, uh, 8 to 7, uh, using lots of battery from the, uh, the cameras uh, and social media, and especially using uh, listening to podcasts. 
and especially using navigation. So I was using the GPS because I used the navigation to get where I was three hours away. Yeah, the battery is tight. Like when MKBHD complains about it, I can't imagine what's driving that experience. One thing may be uh, the 5G antenna. So what I found here, uh, going all over where I live, and I live in Richmond, Virginia, T-Mobile is my service provider, and they have 5G in the area, but it is, it sucks. It sucks to the point where I was like, well, maybe something's missing. Maybe I am, my plan's not set up correctly for 5G, because on 5G, I was getting speeds like 1.5 meg down, maybe 5 meg down. And that was all over the city, all, every place I go, work, home, my girlfriend's house, the store, everywhere. So I put it on LTE almost immediately, and battery life has been fantastic, and LTE has been super fast, like super fast. Network in general has been super fast. I use uh, two apps for uh, wireless file transfer. One is called Wi-Fi File Transfer, and I use that to transfer files from my phone to my computer. And the other one is Nearby Share, the Google proprietary uh, AirPlay alike, and I use that to transfer files from my phone to my tablet. And that experience has been incredible, like so much faster than it was on my Pixel 3a XL. Uh, it's kind of amazing. But, like I said, 5G, I thought maybe my plan was jacked up. Maybe something was wrong. Maybe something was wrong with the phone. But I was up in Washington, D.C. yesterday, in downtown D.C., for this art exhibit, and I put it back on 5G, and instead of getting 100 gig, I'm sorry, 100 meg down, I was getting 400 meg down on 5G versus the 100 meg down on LTE. So the LTE is working fine. It's just that it's bad in my area. It is what it is. I'm fine being on LTE because I suspect that the power draw uh, is different on LTE than it is on 5G. So I'm fine with the, the power savings and 100 meg down. I can do that. I can live with that. But besides that, yeah, fantastic in every aspect, in every aspect of the experience. And I'm still excited. Like, as you can see from the media, uh, from the art gallery, the pictures are beautiful, video is beautiful. There's some features built in that I haven't fully had a chance to test yet. I'll drop a video of the cinematic pan feature, because that is something that I did that, that turned out really well. It looked good. Just a quick cinematic pan, but it's beautiful because it was just a nice day for it. Uh, and yeah, impressive. Lots of impressive built-in things. I'll also drop some examples of Magic Eraser, which is a feature that is basically like the healing tool, but it's um, it's predictive AI doing the healing, like looking for the things that need to be removed from the photo, replacing them with, you know, color from nearby pixels or patterns from nearby areas of the photo, and doing it way better than I ever did by hand. Like, it's not perfect. You can kind of see the fill, you can see the replacement, and you can see the errors that it makes when you do it manually. But it still looks great. Like, sometimes incredible, sometimes actual magic. So I'm loving that stuff. Uh, the AI transcription uh, is perfect, but it has been perfect for a while. I think the difference here is that the AI transcription from voice to text is being done locally on the processor. Uh, same with pulling text from photos. That was something that already existed in Google Lens, but I think the phone does it now locally. 
So you could turn the antennas off on the phone and still have it find that text. You could still have it transcribe your voice perfectly because the AI that, that deciphers what's going on uh, is on the phone. Something else interesting that the AI does is one of the modes for the camera is that the camera mic has a mode to uh, filter out background noise and it does that by watching your lips and reading your lips and trying to match what it sees or what it thinks it sees you saying to uh, words and then filtering out everything else that's in the background or just lowering it and it seems to work pretty well um, Jerry Hildenbrandt from Android Central said that's kind of a dumb way to do it, but it's a fancy way to show off the processing power of your AI. Who knows what the future applications of what our uh, AI overlords are going to do to us, having applied that and having gotten really good at that over the time from the metrics collected from having that built into the phone, but it's pretty cool right now. So yeah, I think that's most of the experience so far. Gaming? I, I like to game on my phone, but I don't game like other people. I'm not doing competitive online. I'm mostly using emulators. And so I installed my favorite emulators and cranked up all the settings, and they all worked flawlessly. 60 frames per second. Uh, basically, I'm just using the resolution of the screen, which is 1080p. Uh, if there's um, FXAA uh, or anisotropic filtering, turn that all the way up. Beautiful. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is play uh, GZ Doom with all the mod. So I've been playing Brutal Doom and Doom Brutality, which are mods for GZ Doom that add all kinds of effects and super amounts of gore and giant weapons with big explosions. And it runs flawlessly. I've been playing some high-end games. They all work very well. If you look at the metrics, because the games are something that uh, is used for is used for benchmarking because they're built-in settings for the games. Usually the developers, I think, work with the OEMs to uh, especially code the higher-end mode so that you can get ultra mode in these games on the higher-end phones. I don't think they've worked with Google yet because I'm pretty sure that Google can do those ultra modes, but not yet. The last big thing as far as performance is uh, one of my favorite apps for media editing is PowerDirector. It's a video editor. It has lots of automated built-in features. It's really cool, and I've been using it for a long time. It's actually why I started creating media uh, on the internet, just to test PowerDirector. It will not uh, edit 4K video. Like, it'll you can put it on your timeline and, and gussy it up or whatever, but when you go to uh, render it, it won't render it. It doesn't have the codecs for it, is what it says. Now, the phone is plenty powerful to do that because any phone can edit raw 4K footage. Even like the low end of modern chipsets or modern SOCs can render 4K video. So it's just a support thing. Uh, so I'm excited to see them uh, resolve that issue, work with Google to uh, get the right codecs in place to support the Tensor chip because that is going to scream when it's ready. I've done some video trimming just inside of uh, Google Photos video editor, which basically just trims and maybe adds a filter or some effects like that. And uh, it blazes, it's very fast. So I'm excited to see what it can do in the long term. So as you can see, yeah, I am geeked about this. This is one of the things that makes me excited over the course of a year, new smartphone season, like the iPhone 13, uh, you know, the, one of the last shows I did was about the Apple event. 
I didn't do one about the Google event because the Google event was just about one device, and I had already talked about the Pixel 6 preemptively before on the Apple event show. But yeah, it's here. It's like nerd Christmas right now. I'm having a good time. And one, one last thing about the processing power. So right now, as far as the devices I have, because I don't have a gaming PC, I don't have a PS5, I have a PS4, and I have uh, an old laptop, a very old laptop, high end for its time, it does what I need it to do, uh, and then I have my work PCs. So my work laptop is a 2020 business machine. It's a, a Latitude, a Dell Latitude 5510. It's uh, an i5 processor. It has an i5 processor, 8 gigs of RAM, uh, M2 module, or whatever replaced M2. Super fast storage, basically. Uh, and specs, my phone is more powerful than my business machine laptop. And that is the state of silicon in the modern time. And then, of course, Apple silicon is way more powerful than even that. Uh, there's a revolution on the uh, on the horizon. Risk and ARM is the future. Intel x86, CISC computing may be on the way out. Like a processor that has fixed functions for doing specific things is probably now more powerful than a general purpose workhorse processor. That's crazy. That's the future. That's my Pixel 6. So if you've enjoyed me, you can hit me up on Twitter. We can talk about tech. We can talk about movies. We can talk about whatever at janky old broke hobo Spider-Man at Jonathan Blade. And I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for watching.